In Sales Stories, Raw and Real, today we speak with Byron Cooper Fogarty and his journey from the dirt of Dubbo to the lofty heights of the London Financial District. In 1987, Byron was doing the HSC and the stock market crashed and it triggered his interest in finance. He undertook a degree in accounting and moved into corporate insolvency, but found it wasn't for him. A chance discussion led to a role in sales on the trading floor and he hasn't looked back. Byron talks us through the first sale he ever made, which wasn't a big one, but as he says, he was off the mark and well on his way. His directness, authenticity and ability to build relationships has taken him through a range of different roles where he now finds himself a CEO in the fintech game. He shares his thoughts, or at least tries to, on what digitization and the pandemic will mean for the future of sales. There's some wonderful stories and amazing insights from Byron, who has traveled the world with his toolkit, his personality, and his desire to make a difference. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did. Sales Stories, Raw and Real is a podcast series designed to help people in business development, whatever their level, by learning from the experiences of others. We'll be talking about the salespeople they've met, led and worked with and share their insights into what we need to do more of and less of. You'll hear the very best and worst of people's experiences to help you recognize the traps that we've all fallen into, get through them and out the other side, having learned what you needed to along the way. It's, uh, it's morning here, but not, um, a little bit later in the day over in London where my next guest is from, or England. So please meet Byron Cooper Fogarty. Byron's going to do his own bio for us today and tell us what he does, how he does it, and, um, and how, he, how he succeeds in, in the sales component of his role. Welcome, Byron. Thanks, Charlie. Um, it's been a while since we've spoken. Um, as hopefully your listeners can tell by my accent, I'm not actually English. I've just been stuck over here for 20 years, thanks to uh, you know lovely weather, Brexit, all those good things that happen up here uh, when Boris Johnson's in charge. So no apologies if anyone's a Boris Johnson fan out there, but uh, clearly, clearly I'm not. But anyway, um, yeah, love being in England. Good. Um, good. So, so Bob, what is it that you do now, and 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 how did you get to be doing that? Yeah, so it's my current role, Charlie, is I'm I'm actually the interim CEO of of Neptune Networks, which is a is a fintech firm in London. Um, a bit different to your traditional for if fintech in the sense that it's not a not a startup. It's not like I I was in my garage or in my mum's basement or anything like that with another guy and started it up. It's it's actually uh, you know owned capitalized by a consortium of nineteen investment banks, which is fantastic on one hand, but comes with a lot of sort of politics and cat herding and things like that on the other. Um, so I've been uh, I've been in the CEO role for roughly eighteen months now, but prior to that I was was head of sales and and generally really for the bulk of my gosh career since nineteen ninety three did I start? Oh wow! Um, since nineteen ninety three I've been in sales roles um, more or less. I mean I started in uh, ninety two it was actually ninety two ninety three I started. 
um, at Ernst Young, I was an accountant, which um, you'll remember well because we actually studied some of those subjects together at, at uni. You did BFA, I think, didn't you? I did from yeah. memory. Yeah, no, I did economics, I and then remember, did that. Just I've been triggered by that comment about um, the fact that you were with EY, and um, I'm not sure who it was before that, but I was um, we were I was working in Smithfield at the time, and you had to go out to Smithfield. Um, I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was being liquidated. And, uh, yeah, because that's right. Yeah, because I was in the yeah I was in the a long, um, long time ago now, mate. Yeah, corporate recovery and insolvency area. So yeah, I wasn't in audit like all the green pen tickers. Um, so I was in the I guess the more exciting part of accounting, if that exists. Again, no <laughs> offence to accountants out there. Um, but yeah, yeah, I did. I had to go to Smith. All I had I had to do I had to just sit in the office and read. Uh, read the paper or read cricket books or something like that. I was just there to make sure no one came on site and tried to take machines and things like that. It was a pretty horrible, you remember the early nineties, you know, interest rates were, gosh, yeah. I think they were like, yeah, well, certainly well into the teens, yeah. uh, you know, recession, all that sort of thing. So we, yeah, we were plenty busy when it came to, to liquidating stuff, but look, when it comes down to it, I, you know, if they did psychometric testing or, you know, if they did a course in self-awareness at university, there's no way in the world I'd have ever become an accountant because it was just so wrong for me. Lots um, is likewise for you as well. I mean, it's, I, I kind of... So how did you, you know, how did you make the step into to sales? Because I'm just looking at your LinkedIn profile now. The, your first, you know, you were an accountant for a couple of years, but you moved very early into sales. How did How did that happen? Yeah, well, it's, well, funny enough, it was accounting that got me across in in many respects. So when I, I moved across to Hambro's bank, which became RBC, but I did my first, I think I want to say like year or 18 months um, as an accountant there as well. I mean, to be honest, from a I say relatively early age, certainly the, the last few years of school, I always wanted to get into the financial markets. To do what? I didn't have a clue. Um, quite frankly, all I knew there was the stock market crash in 87. And instead of putting me off, that actually inspired me. You know, I watched Wall Street instead of putting me off. It inspired me. You all these cautionary tales that that should put you off, but but actually ended up inspiring a lot of people, I think, you know, from our generation and, and beyond. You know, Liars Poker is another one, Michael Lewis's book, you know, cautionary tale, but inspired me to get into to well, what a, probably a lot of people would consider to be a pretty dodgy industry, but you know, like it or love it, you know, although that it's it's the industry that's you know it greases the wheels. You know, it's it's a it's a well become a, a multi-trillion-dollar industry as well. But you're know, going back, um, yeah. So I started at Hambro's, a uh, great guy um, who was my boss there, Rod Ireland. Um, he was on the trading side, but in reality, he was really more a sales guy. And and he, you know, he was, I suppose, as close to a mentor as I had around those times. And and he gave me the opportunity in the front office to move across there and become, uh, well, we did, didn't call it sales. It was actually dealer. And I think there was, I don't know whether it was the 90s or whether the industry had an issue with the term sales, but my I'm sure my first couple of jobs in the markets, one I was called a dealer, but I was a sales guy. And the other one um, was was distribution. They just wouldn't call it sales. Um, and again, that was at the Commonwealth Bank, weirdly enough. But yeah, that's how I got into it. It was, it was a, a passion to be involved in the financial markets. I always thought I'd be a trader. But again, you know, self-awareness eventually kicks in and 
I'm not the biggest risk taker in the world. So it, it became pretty apparent after a year or so as an accountant uh, within the within the bank that that look my my ticket to the front office was becoming a sales guy. And for someone who certainly then was probably naturally quite reserved, perhaps still am to a large degree, but you know it was it was a hell of a you know they talk about pushing the envelope. I mean, I, I, it, it was shoved. You know, it was uh, it was a real eye opener, and and quite frankly, I think in many respects it changed my personality to a degree. I think for the better. Some might disagree, Aren't including my wife. Ask but you, what was it? It was was it Rod Island? You said, yeah, Rod Island. Yeah. What was it? Yeah. What was it about? Because I I think there's um, lots in that conversation or interactions between you and he. That led mm. you had a passion for um for the financial markets, right? But I think he yeah. saw something or did something uh, to you or with you that went, yeah, I can, I can. That's that's the start of my journey. Well, because I, I, I got to say that most people choose to be an engineer, they choose to be a doctor, a lawyer, plumber, yeah. a teacher. But 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 a sales career is more about chance. You're having oh, 100%, right mate. Yeah. Right conversation at the right time. No one says at 16, 17, 89, 20, 25, I want to be a salesperson. Not no. that early in life. Often people go when they're 30 and they've got some scars on their back and some experiences. They say, I'm going to make a career out of sales. But early on, it's not that. It's a conversation with someone like Rod or, or some learned behavior that goes, it's kind of cool. So do you remember anything? Yeah. About that? Yeah, look, I can remember a couple of conversations, not not just with Rod, but with some of the other guys there. Um, but I, I remember, you know, sort of, I wouldn't say he necessarily took me under his wing, but there I'm doing the, like the daily P&L for the traders and things like that. And he had a bit, you know, and he still does have a big personality um, and was was very welcoming and friendly. And, you know, I was, I was terrified. You know, these guys are traders. I'm absolutely terrified. Of them. But he was very welcoming, you know, a lot of the guys there would sort of help you learn. And and I was, uh, whilst I was doing the accounting stuff, you know, quite frankly, I was, I was learning as much about the markets as I could, you know, what a bond is, how it works, you know, all the different products, all the different, you know, economic releases and how they impact the the movement of the market, you know, looking at all the, the tables and things, you know, <laughs> You know, I, I was actually probably the spreadsheet guru on the desk when I started, which is a, which is a bit scary in hindsight. But you know, it's it's better than having me. He ultimately, I, yeah, I, I just wanted to be part of what I thought was such a glamorous, you know, glamorous world. And and look, let's not beat around the bush. You know, I also saw how much money these guys were were making as well, and that's always attractive. But it became pretty obvious. And, and Rod obviously saw something in me because I never saw myself as a sales guy. I mean, I think I, if I remember, you know, you know, on the um, podcast you did with Johnny Alton, um, fellow Dubbo lad, of course, um, you know, he was, I think that the title was like natural born salesperson, I think, from, yeah, yeah. from memory. Whereas whereas for me, I, yeah, I was the opposite. I never, I did, you know, never thought, I'd be getting into sales. You know, I always thought of sales as you know, someone in a shiny suit flogging you a, an old Holden Ute or a, or a dodgy flat somewhere in Bondi, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, there was a stigma about it. And I think it's, you know, even even internally, so it can be a bit hard to shake for someone who just didn't see themselves as a salesperson. But but obviously Rod, Rod, Rod did. 
Um, and then after, I think it was, maybe it was 18 months, two years, I got the opportunity to, um, to get on the desk and, and basically cold call people. You know, they didn't let me near the big accounts, obviously, but, um, you know, basically cold call people. And man, that was a huge, that was a huge uh, step forward for me in the sense that it was massively outside my comfort zone. Absolutely. You know, it really, a, really was. What a terrifying experience. But so how, oh, how did you handle horrible. that? How did you handle that? Um, That's, this is well, it's funny. I, 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 my now wife, Courtney, I was, had, dinner with her i remember it distinctly and i i said to her what if i mess this up this is kind of like my dream job well, aside from playing cricket for australia you know this is my this is my dream job you know so it was it was one of those things where uh, you know i might have been a bit reserved but you know deep down this is what i wanted to do so i wasn't you know i wasn't prepared to let it fail so you know it's like anything you don't want to do it, it there'll come a time where the pain of not doing it outweighs the pain of doing it and and cold calling like grizzled i say 40 year old now but you know 30 year old 40 year old asset managers in australia and that's it's a pretty hard school too you know aussies are not you know they're not the most forgiving you know people certainly when you uh when you pick up the phone to them you know not many people had heard of ambrose everyone knew about ubs and Barclays and the Commonwealth Bank, Macquarie, whoever, you know, the sort of household names down there. But you know, no one had heard of Hambros and they're like, What's, what the hell is this? You know, and I'm this, I thought mature, but literally went behind the years 20, was that 25, 26, I think, um, which is extraordinarily, now that I'm 51, it's extraordinarily young to be doing that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I was, I was basically, in many respects, we'd never done historically very well in Melbourne. So I, I ended up sort of taking over, you know, a lot of the Melbourne accounts, which we weren't really getting any business out of. And um, I found the best way to, to build rapport with those guys was to talk about AFL and, you know, and to stir them up, pretend I was a Swans fan, which I eventually did become, and, and to make stupid bets with them and, and, and hand over 20, 20 bucks whenever you went down there because you, you said the Swans had beat St Kilda or something like that just to get in their good books. But, you know, you, you, you work out a way to, to do it. But, you know, that industry as well, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cutthroat. It's only become more cutthroat, quite frankly. I think it's, it's a good thing that um, it's probably more regulated than it was yeah. back then. And the behavior is a hell of a lot better now than it was back then as well. The, you know, to use an English term, effing and jeffing, it was that, that was polite. Yeah. Um, it was really sort of, um, it was a bit like, you know, the, that sort of male testosterone filled trading rooms that you talked about and then i'd go home you know to the to the house in paddington that i shared with three mates from uni one being our mutual friend ian brommel and it was just you know it was the same there you know it was just ridiculous so thank god uh thank god courtney came along and actually saved me from that world but um it's uh yeah that, that's that was the start of the journey really um it's uh yeah f kind of fell into it you know, in some respects, you know, and uh, yeah, look, and I always, you know, whether those things on LinkedIn come in and sort of, you know, name someone that's helped you in your career, I'll, I'll always say that to Rod and it probably surprises him to an extent, but, um, but yeah, you should, you should always, you know, you're always surprised at how much you, uh, you can help people. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting what, um, what Rod didn't realize he did and what you and I are probably, yeah. prob probably now doing, um, having, <clears throat> Pardon me, having the conversations with uh, 22 or 25-year-olds 
and hopefully having it's a, a, a positive impact on them, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm quite conscious of it now. And I mean, I, I don't, um, I suppose in our industry, it's it's certainly got a lot older. You know, people, I don't know whether it's because of the money or probably you know, working conditions and things like that are a lot better than they used to be. But, you know, our industry is definitely older than it used to be. I mean, you know, one of the guys on my desk, I think back now, there's a lovely guy, Rich, but Richard Sheen, but um, geez, we used to give him a hard time. I used to tell him how old he was. And I, I swear he, he must have been like mid thirties, you know, and I thought he was ancient. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm quite conscious, you know, I meet a, you know, particularly a lot of the younger guys I know through the the cricket club, my son and I are involved with, you know, a lot of them sort of, as they're sort of leaving school or leaving uni and, and looking to get into to certain industries and whatnot, you know, I try and uh, you know, help them out. I mean, I didn't get any of that, guys. I mean, my parents, you know, God rest their souls, you know, uh, it didn't have a Scooby when it came to this sort of thing. And, um, you know, it's. I, I think that's important, you know, at least, well, yeah, my, will my kids listen to me? That's the question. But, you know, at least some people do. And if I, I can help, that's a good thing. Because um, I'm, not, um, I'm not sure that I was listening when, when, when I needed it, you know, and I think that's... Well, you maybe that they told me and I just wasn't listening, mate. Yeah, I don't, I'm probably doing my parents a disservice. But, um, yeah, it's... Uh, so when, when you have just a little segue from the, the, the people that you talk to and the people that you team and, and all of your roles in as head of sales and a range of, of fintech businesses, for those that haven't heard of fintech, and I learned the term last year, it's financial technology. So Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Um, but what do you think makes people good at sales, mate? Look, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, I if you sort of ask me what are the two key components, and there's so many different things, but for mine, it's it's a lot of it's around authenticity, and that that you know within authenticity is is being likable, you know, being trustworthy, and I I mean trustworthy, you know, in terms of being honest, that that goes without saying. But you know, trustworthy more in the sense that you you can deliver on a regular basis for your clients, and I think that's it's about for mine. That's what it's about. I mean, it's it's. I remember having guy was in the Commonwealth Bank. Actually, I had an argument with a one of the traders because um, he accused me of taking the client's side. And I was like, "You don't work for them. You work for us." And it's like, no, it's by working for them within here, it's better for you you know, longer term. But again, you know, it's, it's our industry can be very you know, sort of short-sighted. But I'd say, yeah, absolutely, authenticity and, and, and all the elements of that, but also persistence. Yeah. Um, I think that's hugely important. I think that's something that I've become, you know, significantly better at over the years is is that persistence. It's It's not taking no personally, uh, sometimes it, it can be, um, but you know, not taking no personally, and not taking no as the final answer either. It's really you, you almost really need to hear no, not yet. But that, I mean, having said that, there are some people that um, I mean, a guy I, I sometimes watch his videos and things over the past five or six years. A guy called Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know whether they watched him. He said, "Don't try and sell the unsellable," and I totally agree with it. There will just be some people or firms where you know they could really use what you do, but you've just got to leave them to work it out. And it might be a week, a month, a year, two years, four years. I mean, we've got guys, you know, now that I, I spoke to when Neptune kicked off around five years ago that are 
Yeah, and I always stay in touch with them, of course, and you keep them updated and mm. you'll see them at conferences and, and various, well, when they had conferences, you'll see them around the traps and you'll stay in touch, always very friendly, not pushy. You know, and, and a lot of those guys have now sort of come back because they hear it through word of mouth, through their peers and and various other people. So persistence is a, is a massive one. You know, don't, don't give up. But also, also the other side thing is know when to give up as well. That's that's a key skill, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. When it's not worth it, yeah. And a lot of people say that oh, you should never give up. Sometimes you should. Sometimes <clears throat> going down a certain avenue is a complete waste of time. I gave up as an accountant. It's worked out all right. Yeah, I think um, someone told me many many years ago, and I think it's very true, is that the the, the biggest waste of time for any salesperson is working out when it when a when an avenue is a dry galley and and calling yeah, yeah. And being honest with themselves and calling it because um totally agree it, yeah it's the sale that we didn't get that costs us the time where we should be working on something else and i've got a um yeah. I've got a list of on my um whiteboard behind this computer which is the people that i've told myself i'm not allowed to ring anymore because I've just spent too much time on it, and and you need those triggers or, or protection measures, because I've, I don't know when to call them. Yeah, look, I've 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 got a couple of those. They usually reside in France. <laughs> doesn't help that I can't. Doesn't help that I can't speak French very well or at all, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but uh, no, but yeah, it's being a bit harsh on those guys. Some of them are actually very good. Uh, very good clients and very good people as well. But yeah, there are one or two over there that are, they're on my uh, mental no call list. Um, Tell me about, um, about authenticity and when, when did you start to become aware of that word and the power of it as a head of sales CEO? When, when did, when did that kind of occur? I I think it probably came to me. I, I think I always, whether conscious or not, always, I, I think I always tried to live that. I, I think it was always ingrained in me to, you know, if anything, I might have called it being yourself um, in the early days. But I think, you know, probably only really being over here in London. And I think, you know, perhaps one reason there is you know, being an Australian here. I mean, there are plenty of, well, less now than there used to be, but, you know, there's plenty of us up here. But it's still a bit of a, you know, we're a bit of a, a novelty. And I think, you know, certainly for clients on um, in Europe, they, they're certainly more forgiving of me not being able to speak their language, knowing that I'm from, you know, a long, long way away. Um, I think they're a little less tolerant of the Brits um, not putting in much effort to, to speak the language. But I think it was really being yourself, I think, became a bigger thing for me up here because it was was not only meant that I was comfortable within myself, you know, I wasn't trying to pretend to be something I wasn't. Um, and I'd, I'd like to think, I don't think I ever have tried to do that, but but it was also like a, a, a USP in some respects, you know, for myself as a, as a oh, I hate to say this, personal brand, um, you know, as, as someone who's, that's such a strange, can you edit that out? Um, it's uh, No, because this, <laughs> I've got to tell you, mate, this is the goal, right? Um, yeah. Just, just really quickly, um, I'll come back to it, but I've got to say it, because when I was in France many, many years ago, I, I said to them, um, you know, do you speak, do you speak English? And, and they go, oh, no, yeah. oh, no. And I said, oh, what about Australian? And they go, oh, yeah. Yes, yes. I Skippy. 
Um, you know, yeah. I, I love I love what you've just explained there, mate. Because um, the, the, I can't I think about myself, you know, and and the word authenticity probably came onto my radar. You know, I'm, I'm, we're the same age. I'm, I think I'm 52 later in the year, and I think I think you you reveal and come mm. with that, you know. And I think it was forced upon you because when when, when did you move? To um, it was early thirties, was it? You moved to London. Yeah, t- two thousand and one, mate. So yeah, Courtney yeah. and I had been married for two years. It was we do one or two things. We either go to London for a year or two and and you know have a bit of an adventure, or or we we buy the house, have kids in Sydney. Twenty years later, um, you know we're we're still here. So yeah, we, we yeah, we're still quite young. I mean, I've, I've certainly worked a hell of a lot. Well, double the, at least double the time up here as I, I did in, in Sydney. So, which is extraordinary. I mean, I've actually God, if I ever get to, uh, yeah, if I, if I don't get the hell out of here by the time I'm 62, I'd have ended up living more time in the UK than Australia, which is bizarre, but um, it's, yeah, sometimes I got to pinch myself and think, oh, what the hell am I doing here? Well, in a I good way and in a bad way. <laughs> Yeah, I think we all do that, mate. And and part of it's mm-hmm. um, part of it's one's life journey uh, and the various yeah, stages exactly. that you, you're going through. And um, you know, having known you when you were nineteen and twenty, I, I've always liked the fact. Thank God they didn't have video phones then, mate. Yeah, smartphone. yeah. No, well, let's look at it. I'm editing that one out. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I've always liked the fact that you've always been honest, right? You're always pretty straight up, and I, and I, I think yeah, I. I Certainly think so, yeah. That, 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 that resounds with people because there's just too much bullshit in the world and people don't like bullshit. They don't like being bullshitted too. And, yeah, um, yeah, we've exactly. Got, we've all got an inbuilt bullshit detector in us and we can feel it, mate. We can feel oh, it. Oh, totally. And I think the older you get, the more you get it. And look, in the 18 months since I took over you know, running Neptune, I, I've kind of found myself becoming increasingly um, direct particularly with shareholders and board members and things like that. Um, and, and I think ultimately they appreciate it. Um, maybe sometimes not, but it's, it's you know, there's, there's, there's being, you know, it's like the old, what's the old saying, you know, you, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Well, you, you know what? Enough vinegar and you'll catch a lot of flies. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes you have to open the bottle, you know, the top of the vinegar and, uh, and get it out. But um, it's, yeah, it's been a yeah. Look, I mean, I I I just don't think I could change. I mean, my wife, I think you know, and you shouldn't. You know, she thinks I'm uh, I lack empathy for other people's uh, opinions, which I think is a bit harsh. She says it's because I don't read enough novels, but um, it's uh, so there's a pile of unread novels on the on the side of the uh, side of the bed. But um, but yeah, look, I I don't think that's that's entirely true. I think she's been a bit harsh with me there. But yeah, you know, I I, I if I disagree with something, I, I will outline it. But I, I also, you know, the, the one thing that, that bugs me, if someone disagrees with me, that's cool. But back it up. Don't just stay. And this goes for clients as well. And I think sometimes you've got to be direct with clients as well. It's not just, you know, if you have a truly meaningful relationship with your clients, it's not just about being at their beck and call and doing everything they want to do. Sometimes you've got to challenge them because, you know, sometimes you might have a better idea of what they should be doing than they do. You know, and sometimes that can be a bit tough and you'll get certain clients that never want to hear that, but the, the best clients you have are, are prepared to hear that and, and, and sort of grow together. And that's the thing, you know, with, you know, with my industry generally, you know, it's not a, 
it's not a sort of short, sharp, in and out, you know, real estate, used car sort of sales job. It's not, um, it's, it's building those long-term relationships. Most and, of them are, most of them are mate. You know, I've been in yeah, exactly, yeah. a few industries yeah. now and, and most of them are about the, um, the longer term. And, I, you know, just picking up what you, you said, you know, I've said it a thousand times, but I, people buy off people they like, know and trust. And, and someone yeah, called me up on that yeah. the other day and, and said, listen, it doesn't have to be necessarily like it. It, it could be respect. And, and I get that because we do need to respect each other, even if we mm. don't like them. Because if someone comes to us with a, with a reasonable offer, um, demonstrating a whole bunch of value that we're going to get, we have to listen to that. And then the like, yeah. can, the respect contains to like, and we can move into trust and, and get a lot of benefit for, for both parties. And that's a good deal. Yeah, no, hundred percent, mate. I, t- I totally agree with that. It's um, and we were, you know, we've probably all got people in our lives that we you know, probably quite like, but when it comes to the respect, sometimes you might look at them and go, yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, and, and we've got plenty of people we do business with that we don't necessarily like, but we respect how they go about it and, and things like that. So I, I, I still like the the like thing. Again, I think the most, if you're going to have a truly meaningful relationship, you know, sort of sales guy, client, then then the like is still a big factor in that. Respect is, is a given, you know, like, mm. like your know, honesty and, and trust. I think those things are, you know, are givens. Without those, yeah, you're going to be lost. You're going to drift from job to job, industry to industry. Yeah. Um, so what is it that you like about sales? Clients, mate, you know, the the interaction with the people, um, that's definitely, and that's the thing I've missed most, you know, being in the CEO role, you know, I, I don't get to spend anywhere near as much time with, with clients because I'm spending a lot more time on structural things, which is, you know, is, is massively time consuming, um, you know, shareholders, board members, although in many respects, they're kind of like clients. Um, well, mm. I mean, their firms are, are actually our clients, but. So you've got to you know you're, you're forever selling stuff to them. That's for sure. Whether it's the, you know, the way they should vote at the next board meeting or you know capital raise. We did a capital raise last year, which was uh, I think I dug deep into my uh, my uh, resiliency and persistence uh, toolkit on that one because <laughs> you know, we were closing around the time COVID kicked off. You know the pandemic kicked off, so it was a hell of a, a hell of a time. But yeah, it's it's that interaction with the clients, particularly the face-to-face stuff. And that's what I've really missed um, over the last 18 months or, you know, 12 months or whatever it is we've been going in this. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of business travel. I think I got over that in my 20s. Um, you know, the thrill of jumping on a plane and, and being in a hotel and well, back then it was Brisbane or Melbourne generally. But, um, yeah, even now sort of, you know, it's a bit, bit sad. You know, I was, I was in New York God, it wouldn't have been last year. It would have been sort of late 2019. And I've, I've sort of turned the corner, sort of stayed in Bryant Park, which is Midtown, turned the corner and there's the Chrysler building. And you know, I remember the first time I saw the Chrysler building and, and the skyline of New York, you know, probably in 2001, you know, I almost had a tear in my eye because I'd never been there before. And it's just like, wow, this just looks like all those movies and things as a kid. I turned the corner, looked at it and just went, mm. <laughs> you know, it's it's a bit sad that it's come to that. But what I love is sitting down, you know, particularly Americans, man, they're great to do business with. Yeah. I mean, yeah, say what you will about the the 
the president once removed, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And I think Americans get a hard time. It's like the Germans over here get a hard time by the British, but they're great people, great yeah. senses of humor. And, and there is no one better in the world to do business with than the Americans. It's, it's cut to the chase. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of room for, for building personal relationships and getting along well. And they like the fact you're an Aussie and all that sort of business, but it's, it's they're fantastic to do business with because they're, they are they're probably a bit like me. You know, they're, they're quite direct. And if they're not happy with something, they'll tell you. There'll be no sort of beating around the bush and, and those sorts of things. And commercially, you know, if they think something's valuable, they'll pay for it. There'll be no haggling, no, no carry on like that. No, uh, yeah, but, you know, th- those guys should be giving it to us for free and all that sort of business, it's, it's, which you can, unfortunately, get in, in Europe. Um in the states, it's like if we think it's worth it, we'll we'll just pay it. We'll write a check, and and to a sales guy because ultimately, you know, it's nice to be liked and all that sort of thing. You've got to you've got to bring home the bacon, you know, basically. It. You've got to close yeah. it. Down. Yeah, what exactly. Most, what do you find most challenging about sales? I think deep down, I'm still that sort of reserved guy. So, you know, if if there's a client that I think really should be coming on board. You know, and they say no, or or if we lose a client, probably especially actually, because you've put in so much effort to get them on, and then something doesn't quite work out, and they go, that, that you know, that's dealing with that's quite challenging. I think a lot of the the politics, and again, I, I'm not going to say this is unique to financial markets, but there's a lot of politics that you know, in many cases, you just won't be aware of, or again you can't do anything about it. I think as I've got older, I've become better at, you know, worry about the things you can control, worry about, you know, worry a little bit about the things you can influence. If you can't control it, it's just, you know, just leave it. And, and politics kind of falls into that, but you know, the, it's, it's always been a, a bit of a, a challenge for mine. You know, again, being that sort of honest, direct person, it's, you know, even, even back in the, the days when I was in sales internally, you know, some of the people that were just so focused on making money. It's just, oh, I'm only in this for money, 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 money. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Look, we all work because we want to have comfortable lives and provide for our family. And, and don't get me wrong, I, you know, I, I quite like the freedom that money gives you. But money in and of itself is just so not a motivator of mine. It's like fear as well. Yeah, fear doesn't motivate you. motivates some people, but mm. but tends to almost have the opposite effect on me you know so if anyone and i've been lucky that my managers generally have not been like that but you know anyone that sort of says to me oh you've got i had a cricket cap it was one of the best mates but i had a cricket captain like this is oh you better get some wickets this week or you get dropped and it's like it's the worst thing you could say to me yeah. it's terrible man management yeah. and i did with the thing he's a good enough mate i could go off my head at him about it but you know it's um you know it's but not everyone's the same you, you there are some people i can think of some people in my team you give them a bit of a rocket and that actually fires them up a bit mm-hmm. um and others you got to put an arm around their shoulder you know um it's it's a key part of uh of that that sort of sales management but um yeah politics mate it's easily the the worst bit and rejection we all hate it yeah, yeah. you get through it though how have you learned to to do sales better over the years? Do you think become a lot more confident? I think, and, and, and sales is a is a is a confidence thing, and it's it's you know it's, as I said, you know, I was terrified early days, and I think I've just become more confident as I've got older, more self aware, more aware of the imposter syndrome. 
you know, early days, you're like, my God, I'm trying to sell literally tens of millions of dollars worth of of bonds to these asset managers. They know so much more than me. And and there's always a turning point when you realize, well, no, they're as full of rubbish as I am. <laughs> I actually know more. Was, again, I, I had a similar experience when I took over as CEO. I mean, I, the guy who was CEO before was a great, great friend of mine, Grant Wilson. You know, he was, yeah, he brought me into Neptune um, on the back of the relationship we had when he was at Goldman Sachs and, you know, and he was one of my clients. So, you know, Grant brought me in and he, he sort of taken Neptune as far as he could, um, was stepping aside. And so I was sort of put into that sort of interim role. And I'm, I'm like, oh, this is just no, you know, particularly with the capital raise coming up. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, these guys know so much more about this stuff than me. And when it comes out, no, they don't. Yeah, <laughs> like don't, you know. So I think that, that's been a big part of it. And, and also part of that has been the, the persistence. That's, that's been a, a big area of improvement over the, I was going to say years, decades, you know, but again, that comes from confidence. Like, okay, he said no now, but you know, give him six months, he'll be back. And the, the good thing is, is you just move on to the next one. You know, it's, it's, as it is, you said, don't, don't, don't go scratching around dry gullies for water. You know, it's not there. Move somewhere else. Yeah, I think one of the one of the um, sayings that I came up with last year, and I can quote you know famous people verbatim, you know, but one of the sayings that, I, <laughs> that I'm very proud of is that if, if not, not Mick Casper's, I hope no, no, famous, um, sorry, yeah. is that if you wouldn't buy it, you most definitely shouldn't sell it. Oh yeah, and, totally. That's, that's a good that's one. That's yeah. kind of around that person. I don't know who said this, but the first sale is often to yourself. But if you wouldn't buy it, mm. you most definitely shouldn't sell it, and that's a a key one for leaders as well. If you you've got to try and get to the heart of your your sales, your frontline sales staff, and get them over the line within themselves, the confidence to say, yeah, this is this is the best in the market. And if I had to buy it, there's no other, there's no way I'd buy it from anybody else other than from the organisation I'm working for when I'm working for them. Yeah, um, yeah, I I totally agree with that. Yeah, you know, it's like that um, that sort of. I don't, it's not a question. It's a gimmick, you know, that interview gimmick, you know, there's a pen, sell it to me. It's like, if, if someone, particularly if someone did that to me now, I'd just go, I'm not interested in pens. I'll just chuck it back at them and walk out. I think, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, um, you know, you get to an age where you, you shouldn't have to put up with that sort of thing. I, I look at, I've got friends and, and acquaintances that are in industries that they, they know inside and out. But they're not particularly. They're not particularly interested in it. They're interested in in the end game, which is the business or the money and whatnot, which is cool. And and as I said before, you know that motivates people. But for me, um, I have to be interested and believe even more so in in what you're selling. I yeah, it's a bit. Of, it, I think we've all, any salesperson will come across this. You know, there've been a few times where it's that's not been the case, and I've you know that's always been time to to you know, brush up the CV and get the hell out of there mm. um, as quickly as you can. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, not not believing it. How the hell can you, if you can't sell it to yourself, as you said, you know, how can you sell it to someone else? Yeah, yeah. that's right. What, what's, the, what's the deal or, or, or sale that you're most proud of, mate, or the, or the relationship that you're most, most proud of? I'm going to say my wife, but, yeah, um, <laughs> in business. Um, well, it's funny, I, I, I thought about this and – it's probably two. The first one's the first sale I ever made, which was, 
you know, again, back at, at Hambro's and, you know, in those days, that we we always had one of the London-based Eurobond traders would would be in in Sydney, um, and they were always bloody gobby poms. Again, you're mostly Australian, always, so I'll, I'll give them a hard time. But you're mostly gobby poms, and this guy this guy was very gobby. And when I started on the desk, he's like into me day one. He's like, "How long do you think it'll be till you do a trade? One month, two months, three months, a year?" And I'm like, "Jesus Christ, does it take that long?" And I don't know, in my mind, it was the end of my first week, but I think it was probably the end of my second week. I got my first trade and it was with, I, I can say this now, but you know, it was with the, the, and this is how small the clients they were letting me do. It was the University of New South Wales uh, Treasury. And they, um, I, I, I think they bought 5 million of a, a CBA bond from me. And man, I you know, look at and all the, all the, the guys that I liked and, and knew quite well on the desk, you know, Rod Ireland, you know, Matt Bell, these guys, Adrian Yanchuk, who's still in the markets there in, in Sydney. You know, you know, they came up. It's like, yeah, let's go have a beer and all that sort of stuff at the end. You know, you must be really proud of us. And in the greatest scheme of things, the, the firm probably made like $250 out of the trades. <laughs> but but I'd, I'd got off the mark. And and even now, whenever I think about it, you know, and I, I, you know, I, I probably wasn't uh, – I wasn't a cocky – 25 year old 26 year old but I, I must admit i did feel like shoving it down that guy's mouth but um yeah it, that was that, that was, was certainly oh, one mate, of them that was, kind of, that was the catalyst i would say that is um mm, yeah. on to that feeling nearly 25 years later and it's it's a great story mate it's a great story oh, yeah God. it it was um it was a good one. Look, there's been plenty of other good stuff. I've done much bigger. Yeah, you know, when I was in bond sales, much much bigger deals and much bigger clients. But you know, that that first one was. It's not about the money. It's about no, exactly, no, exactly. And and look, you know, really quickly. I mean, probably the other one is is that capital raise last year. It wasn't a a deal per se, as in you know you're not selling it to clients and stuff like that. But you know, just just getting that money, particularly at such a difficult time. Um, and you know, look, with all due respect to to Grant, the former CEO, I think it really worked that I was running it then because I'm a sales guy, and and it just meant there was a lot of persistence, a lot of make getting your point across, a lot of sort of constant, you know, sort of working the deal and things like that. So it, um, yeah, that 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 was pretty satisfying as well. I'm sure when I'm retired on Bondi Beach, I'll have a beer and think more fondly of it, but it's probably still a bit raw. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, my dad was a, a GP and he said, Charlie, everybody's That's right. Yeah. You're either, you're either oh, selling yeah. a, um, a product, a service, an idea. Um, you know, sometimes mm. your customers, uh, you're, you're talking to them physically. Sometimes you're on the phone. Sometimes you're, you're managing stakeholders that you'll never meet through some sort of, you know, software system. It's, if you have yeah. that self-belief of what you're doing is is right and valuable for those that are you're doing it to that they'll 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 feel that in some way. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, it's um, you get a lot of people sort of saying that now, and it's I think it's becoming more prevalent, and people are are realizing that. Yeah, even even in your personal life, you're you're selling stuff. Yeah, you're trying to persuade people to do things, although. Yeah, there's a big difference between persuading and manipulating. Um, I yeah. might add, you know, it's it's not about. I don't think you should sell. You shouldn't be trying to sell something, whether that's a product, an idea, whatever, to someone where you know it's going to make their life worse. Oh, you know? totally. And I think that's that's why sales probably 
does and still have you know, has a bad name um, in many respects because I, I think again you get a lot of people that are just naturally defensive when they're being sold to, and that that's potentially through experience or just I don't know, different mindset. I don't know, but uh, there are a lot of people. Unfortunately, a lot of people out there still that that give uh, give sales a bad name. Yeah, it's 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 the way that it is. You know, my Rod Island is a guy called Malcolm Stradwick. Uh, he's a sales trainer that I'm actually podcast interviewing next week here in Sydney. He's 83 now. Um, oh, wow, said, that's great. Yeah, he said, sell something that won't come back to someone who will, which, <laughs> which kind of says that, you know, if they're, if they're coming back for the product or service that you've given them, it's given them value and they're happy to yeah. to, to continue to roll with it, you know. So that's that's something that's always stayed in my little brain. Um, over the years, and I like to to be like you around that around authenticity and making sure that you you're doing what you say you're going to do with more value than you promised. Um, oh yeah, I mean that, that. Well, that's that's an old sales saying that that remains very true, which is you know under promise over deliver. Yeah, yeah. Tell yeah. me, Matt, what, and again, that's a trap. Sorry, yeah. government. Yeah. What 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 do you think is the um uh, the last two questions? I just want to kind of combine. How do you think sales is evolving with COVID and what do you think the future of sales is on the back of that? Has it has it changed our course as an industry or or what we do and how we do it? It's definitely, look, I think sales was, you know, has become so much more digital you know, over the last, you know, probably mostly 10 years, I would say. And, and the whole pandemic thing has just accelerated that massively. You know, I'd never heard of Zoom in February 2020. I, I don't think I knew what Zoom was. I, I'd have been lucky to do one video call like this a year. Mm-hmm. And now I seem to do about 10 a day, um, whether it's through Zoom, Teams, WebEx, God knows all these different things. So I think it's through necessity, it's become more digital. I think, you know, again, I'm, I'm sort of speaking more from my industry, the a lot of the sales forces at the at the banks have, have become much smaller. They're servicing their clients digitally through electronic trading and and various other means. And it, it's you know they'll they'll have like a, an e salesperson who will you know instead of covering ten to twenty good accounts, they'll cover two hundred. You know, and, and and certainly the banks have become much stricter in terms of you know you have to reach a certain amount of revenue before you'll get given um, you'll get given that sort of premium service and and look it's just the the way things are you know it's an industry that's that's historically not really looked at its costs but over the you know ever since the GFC have massively you know had to look at their costs and cut costs as mm. margins get challenged and whatnot. having said that the banks still earn quite a Amounts of money, yeah, they do. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't, I'm not expecting anyone, any of your listeners, to shed a tear for them. But, um, but it's it's interesting. But it's it's what it's done is just drive things to be far more digital. In in terms of what we're doing, I mean, it, you, you can't be a, a fintech firm and then and then sort of have an army of of you know handshaking you know traveling salespeople. It's just yeah. you know it's 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 against the I guess the ethos of the you know, that industry, which is to, is to provide a lot more sort of efficiency and, and cost cutting to the, to the financial markets. But I, I think, you know, being able to handle the, the relationships, build relationships digitally, 
Um, I think things like Zoom are, are fantastic. I mean, you know, doing something like this, if we were just on the phone, you and I would probably like, you know, ears would be hot. It'd be like, you know, after half an hour, you're like, oh, I've had enough. Let's just cut it short. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's significantly better than the phone, but I still, you know, I do miss the face to face. I don't, I hope that doesn't, um, diminish too much. I think it's a hundred percent. I think business travel, I don't see how it's going to come back. No, look, I got a, a good mate of mine lives locally. You know, he's a BA captain and, and you know, God, uh, you know, he's fortunately back flying and he's obviously one of the good ones because you know, he was one of the first they got back, but I just don't see how business travel is going to recover to what it was. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of sales will be having to build and maintain relationships from a distance. And I think the pandemic has just accelerated that massively actually mm. you know i think a lot of a lot of firms you know and the whole concept of you know having a full office and things like that i think is, is probably something that's going to be in the past and that you know i've already said to our guys that you know when things normalize you know and the vaccine rollout's been pretty good in the uk and in, to, to be fair to boris um it's it's unlikely you know you, you'll come in when you have to see clients in many respects and again for us that that means people in london okay london's the european hub still despite brexit but you know you you, you just won't jump on a plane necessarily to go to new york as frequently as you used to or i mean we're lucky we've now got a you know some really good people in the states which is which is brilliant but even trying to manage teams is, is very different now as well but having said that we probably see more of them now because it's so much easier to do this it's it's yeah. it's a funny one I mean, it's, it's a bit of a rambling answer mate i, I don't yeah, I think we've probably lost a few now. Um, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I think if they wanted any gems on the future of SARS, man, I'm 51. You know, get a millennial on, they'll be able to tell you it's all going to happen through Instagram or Snapchat or, or an app I've never heard of. I'm a big believer in the, the importance of human connection. The fact that we can do this after not having seen each other for, for 20 years on. Uh, yeah. We, we, we've stayed in touch, but we had... Um, a, foundational time in our lives we've built a relationship so we're leveraging off that through the mediums of technology and i just think that you know and if you go back to where your career started the magic that that happened when you when you did that first trade with the university of new south wales that's still in you mate and and how how many email communications text messages would you have got in the last 20 years that you can't, you, if you, sometimes I go back and look at rema, emails that, that I've yeah. read or received, I go, I don't get that at all. But oh, if, you've I, um, good, if you've got a good relationship and then there's, you're just, you're nurturing that. However, you know, we, we, we didn't know 20 years ago that we might be doing this. Uh, no. We're just having a good time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the funny thing is you mentioned about emails. I mean, I, I jumped on the instant chat with one of um, Anna, one of the, the the team members, and I said, oh, have you chased up that you know XYZ client? She came back to me, you said something on Thursday last week. And I'm like, oh, did I? I've gone into my sent message. There, there's the full email or whatnot. And I'm like, crikey, I do not remember doing that. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, no, you're right. I, I totally agree, mate. I think that the personal touch is still going to be there because yeah. we're, when it comes down to it, we're all humans. Um, it's just probably not going to be as frequent as, as it used to be. Uh, um, whether that's good or bad, well. Well, I think the other part is it, it's going to – the pace of business is going so hard, so fast that if you're mm. not delivering value, if you're not adding value to your uh, client and you've got to give them a good experience – 
But if you're not delivering yeah. financial or other outcomes that have improved their situation, then you're just not going to get a seat at the table in the future. So the, there's a lot there's a there's a lot of pressure on on us all as salespeople to deliver, and 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 that should yeah that should be the way it is. That's it's called development, people. Um, yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And that's that's a, like we were saying before, it's it's all well and good being liked and trusted and things like that, but you actually do need it to deliver as well. You know, you have to actually you know, provide value to the client that, that they want to keep paying for it. Um, so it sustains your firm and your firm's got to keep developing as well and, and growing. Um, and I think as salespeople have got a big part to play in that as well. I think any of my advice to any salesperson is, is gather as much client feedback as you can and throw it into the pot. You know, make sure that, that your mm-hmm. boss, product managers, all these guys that are developing things for clients actually develop stuff that clients want. You know, having said that, you know, some clients don't know what they want. So there's there's always room around the edges for creativity and things like that. But um, yeah, yeah, client client's king, certainly in my book. Yeah, I, I I do love that you started out with that, and we might finish up with that actually because yeah, that's um, a good one. Um, no, I think the client is king. That's that's why we that's why we're here. We don't. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's a range of different ways we we get there, but but the client is king because if if they're happy, um, you know they'll come back to us, and that'll make our boss happy, and that's that's what we want. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Be a better shareholder, a better wife, you know. So um, yeah, agreed. Um, thanks very much. Cool. It's been good talking. Mate, great to see you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, be sure to subscribe in your podcaster so you don't miss a future episode. And whilst you're there, I'd really appreciate if you could take the time to rate and review the podcast. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Charlie. Charlie.